Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us on this Friday, Rosh Chodesh Erev Shabbos Hanukkah at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM and happy Hanukkah to you. Happy Hanukkah to you, Nachum, to everyone, and a good Chodesh. It's a very important day. You have to say hello twice, I guess. <laughs> very good. <laughs> I... Um, I wanted to mention, and we will get to the news of the day, believe you me, I know there are a lot of very anxious people. Our app, in fact, is reflective of the fact that the people have a lot of questions and curiosities about the news. But, but Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, this past Shabbat when I was in West Orange, pointed something out that I regretted not pointing out last Friday with you. And that is that, of course, for, for good reason and for the trivia uh, experts out there, uh, much attention has been paid to the, uh, uh, to the coincidence of uh, both the um, uh, of, of major religious holidays falling on the same day, December the 25th. And he pointed out that we have to keep in mind, and this, of course, ap- applied much more to last weekend, that we have to keep in mind that for generations, that was a night, meaning Christmas Eve, that was a very dangerous one for Jews and one where they likely did not sleep through the night. And we have the opportunity uh, in this unique and incredible country of ours and in general, I would say because of the state of Israel and the IDF, uh, to live in freedom and not only light a Hanukkah, a menorah in our own home on a night like that, on that date, without worrying about safety, but to light Hanukkiyot all around the world in massive public places with incredible sizes of crowds all over the place. And I thought that was a point very worthwhile pointing out to this audience. Although I will say that... uh I didn't get much sleep that night either. <laughs> Not the night before. <laughs> That's or after, for sure. Before the speech and after the speech and in the days thereafter. So it's a reminder maybe. Interesting. Well, you get my point, but that is an interesting take on it. Uh, let's start with this and try, if we can, just to focus on this for a moment. Because I'm so curious. We leave the air last Friday you allude to the fact that this whole resolution thing, and I remind the audience Thursday, you know, the resolution was pulled off the table, etc. And you remind our audience, or allude to it rather, that this is not over, that you never know when this is going to rear its ugly head again. By 2-something Eastern time in the afternoon, Shabbat already in Israel, this was a done deal. Could you describe, because we're so curious, what those hours were like for you from the time we stopped speaking on Friday morning until this vote took place in the United Nations? Yes, well, as you know, the Egyptians uh, pulled the resolution that had been introduced. They sit as the representative of the Arab League on the Security Council. The resolution was introduced. President Sisi gave the orders to withdraw it, and then... Four countries, including New Zealand, uh, Senegal, Great Democracy, Venezuela, other major powers, you know, got together and reintroduced the same language in the Security Council. They're all sitting there as temporary members, and the and, and again, it was bum rushed through under the blue line, uh, which is. Um, uh, re- really precludes any discussion or amendation or anything else of the resolution. And there are many people who believe that this was all long concocted, There, uh, and there are many conspiracy theories that, are ab- that abound about what really happened. But what we know is that there have been discussions with some of these parties before. Uh, it does not look like the Egyptian withdrawal was 
something that had been planned, that this was all one big scenario that had, you know, been orchestrated and choreographed. But the fact that the four did come in with the resolution uh, and then brought it right away for a vote, and then uh, the um, the country spoke, right. and the United States gave a speech, which to many sounded like a speech prepared for a veto right. uh, vote, and it may not have been until actually that day that they decided how they were going to vote on this, although, as I said on the air, there were many reports uh, circulating about an abstention, and we felt that perhaps they were trying to prepare everybody for uh, for that decision. Right, and the four of Malaysia, New Zealand, Senegal, and Venezuela. So so uh, when did you know it was a done deal? I know you worked till the last minute on this stuff. So obviously until 2.15 when the vote actually took place, you're working on it. But at what point did you say to yourself, oh, my gosh, this, this is not going in the direction we need this to go? Well, right until I saw her hand go up for the abstention. You still thought there was hope then? We thought that there was still a chance, and we were given to believe that there was still a chance. I mean, we were talking with people at, at uh, the high levels of the U.S. government, and I think that there are many of them who were left out of the decision until Friday, and and uh, maybe even the U.S. ambassador and others. Uh, and some of them wrote me afterwards to say, we just want you to know we didn't lie to you. This is what we knew at the time, and uh, I think that Many people felt it was a wrong decision as well. This was the president's decision, uh, along with uh, Secretary Kerry, I guess. But the, it, the decision boiled down to to President Obama uh, making the decision to to abstain. They, they will point out that there have been worse resolutions. There have been other resolutions. Well, the, first of all, the, the, this is the first time in 30 years that a resolution of this kind and the language in this resolution really does break new grounds, especially about Jerusalem. It is it is totally one-sided and um, will be the source of, of problems in the future because you can't rescind a Security Council resolution. It was adopted under Article 6 and not Article 7. Article 6 does not carry sanctions uh, with it, Article Seven resolutions generally do. So it it isn't just the uh, the fact that there will be sanctions, but for the BDS movement, right. for Palestinian intransigence, for everything negative, this was uh, a godsend for them. And you were worried about uh, about sanctions, and you were worried about um, uh, possible you know criminal accusations. Frankly, I think you even used that word. I'm on the still air. worried about that. That has not been diminished by this sanctions. You're right, and. I think I discussed some of these things uh, both last week and before about some of the dangers that are inherent in, in these kind of measures. But I'm still very worried about about uh, go, the Palestinians going to the International Criminal Court, which they threaten and which they say they're going to do. But also, you know, settlers or people who support settlers, uh, uh, and that could have broad definition being right. in Yerushalayim, Right. Uh, building in Yerushalayim or contributing to institutions could be subject to arrest right. because what they're essentially saying is that these are, are war crimes. These are criminals. I know this point's not vital at this point, but give me half a minute on it because I'm so curious. What what was the game then on Thursday? We'll, we'll talk about Friday in a minute. But what was the game Thursday that the U.S. did not simply insist that Egypt keep it on the table? Why this whole game for those 24 hours? Well, I think the United States didn't didn't. Uh, know that Egypt was going to pull it. I think that this was in response to 
uh, approaches made to him by Prime Minister Netanyahu, and it may well be that that Sisi was not in the loop on the original on the process that this was handled by his foreign minister by others. Uh, I guess you know we'll have to wait and see what the what will come of it. And I think that that they were hoping that the postponement was not going to be a 24-hour postponement, but a much longer one where they would have had a chance perhaps to work on the language or to do something. Israel was not consulted on the language, and um, and I think that the, that the Egyptians perhaps felt that, that if they had some time, maybe things could be worked out or the language could be softened, something could be done. And then the four countries... Uh, came behind them and, and introduced it. Right. Look, I, I don't. I don't need to put you in a position where we're discussing the cleverness of the president of the United States. But I mean, you know, Christmas Eve with half the world shopping, probably half the White House press corps on vacation, uh, Israel already on Shabbat. I, I mean, you know, he, he couldn't have timed it better, quote unquote, if you know what I mean. Yes, and there are many people who believe that that was. Not coincidental, and it was also Arab Hanukkah, and it was right. Arab many other things, and people's vacations, and the um, uh, you know going right away in, into Shabbat. We were caught um, literally up till Shabbat in, involved in this and in its aftermath. Uh, so you're right. I don't think that the timing was even if it had been the day before. Right. In either case, it would not have been it would not have been ideal time for uh, appropriate responses. All right, uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio exclusively around the world. NahumSiegel.com, the NahumSiegel Network, and our beloved NSN NahumSiegel Network app. The United Nations Security Council Resolution two three three four was adopted on the twenty third of December. It concerns the Israeli settlements in quote Palestinian territories occupied since nineteen sixty seven, including East Jerusalem. The resolution states that Israel's settlement activity constitutes a, quote, flagrant violation of international law and has, quote, no legal validity. Validity. It demands that Israel stops such activity and fulfills its obligation as an occupying power under the Fourth Geneva Convention. Um, right away, and I, I believe this was done literally right away, you could tell us about the timing, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu calls for for ambassadors to those countries that supported this resolution to come back to Israel. Is that accurate? They recalled the Israeli ambassadors right. to not all of the countries, but to many of the countries that, uh, and does that, that voted for the resolution. And does that certainly um, apply to the sponsors, Malaysia, New Zealand, Senegal, and Venezuela? Those four for sure? Where we have ambassadors, yes. Right, where there are ambassadors. Good point. And in general, we know that there's been outreach, for those of us who are confused, because we only know this on a cursory level, there's been outreach by the Prime Minister to African countries. Senegal, in that process, or nothing to do with Israel? No, absolutely. I've met the President of Senegal uh, on a couple of occasions, and he has, they have um, been instituting ties and uh, relationships. You know, in many cases in this regard, people, the countries don't make the connection that we do right. and, and don't look at these resolutions in, in, in the same way. But this, because of the nature of this sinister way that this was done, I think it, it, it evoked a much stronger response than past resolutions. It's not the first time the Security Council, you know, takes on Israel and the countries voted for resolutions condemning. But the day they did not pass for many years. I mean, right, but Jimmy the, Carter, we didn't have right uh, language like this, and and you but, can see the seriousness in the reaction of many leading Democrats. Understood, correct. I mean, it's amazing some of the Democrats and the statements they've made 
uh, frankly. Some of them going to the point where, you know, we'll agree with everything that President Obama has done except this. You know, like it's, uh, it's, it's pretty bold. Although, again, you know, as a lame duck president, I don't know what statements about the president at this point are bold. Um, but going back to those countries that do understand the connection that you just mentioned, um, you know, because you know how it is, you know, our armchair political consultants over Shabbos are saying, wait a second. You know, doesn't the prime minister have some influence on China? Was there a chance ever that China would intervene and veto the resolution? Or there's a, a specific relationship that we keep citing between the prime minister and the leader of Russia. Would that have been a possibility? And now when we see Theresa May and her statements regarding Kerry's speech, which we still have to get into in terms of Kerry's speech, and how outrageous that was this week. Uh, was there ever a chance that the UK and their leadership would have considered a veto? So uh, all the points you raise are right. They did make an approach, uh, Prime Minister, to Putin. Uh, they did not, those approaches obviously did not succeed, although subsequently uh, we heard that uh, Lavrov uh, didn't want there to be a uh, follow-up and, and uh, even talk about the Paris conference, right. and which we'll talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. the... Um, uh, the approaches were made to to these countries, and we were in very intense discussions with the French and with other countries as well. This was this, these decisions were made in the capitals generally. When it comes to to Russia, when it comes to to, to China, um, and th- there was uh, a lot of pressure uh, on them as well to go along, and many of them. Sometimes uh, vote on this, but counting on the United States to veto, so right. it sort of takes them off the hook. Right. Well, they should not be off the hook. They they have an equal responsibility to have vetoed it. The Russian vote, I think, should have been and was very disappointing to to Israel, and the uh, you know the subsequent statements don't make up for the fact that they uh, voted as they did. Uh, I think that the. Um, uh, you know, I think that there was an effort to enshrine the principles enunciated by Kerry in his speech and that Lavrov uh, did not go along with it. At least those are the reports. The, the other countries, Britain, they said try to soften the language. I don't see evidence of that, but we did see a very critical statement. After justifying the vote, we saw the prime minister come out very strong terms and criticize Kerry's speech. Mm-hmm the one-sided nature of the resolution and the speech, the Prime Minister of Australia heavily criticized it, and the Foreign Minister of Australia rather heavily criticized it, and the uh, and, and rebuked New Zealand for, for its vote for it. Um, but Otherwise, the reaction has been right. very muted. And we'll talk. We'll talk more about Kerry in a moment. We'll talk more about Paris in a moment. But I must ask you this, and in all fairness, reminding the audience that you do have member organizations of the Conference of Presidents that supported what happened at the UN this past weekend. Just reminding everybody that because you're obviously you're you're always in a delicate situation. But but this is the question that everybody wants you to answer for us. Uh, what does this say about President Obama? Everyone has, you know, adjectives that they're using about him. Everyone has impressions that they're putting on him right now in terms of anti-Semitism, anti-Israel. Yes, no. Is he, you know, sim- simply, you know, uh, disillusioned by a potential peace process, etc.? How would you now, at the end of his eight years and seeing this step, evaluate his presidency vis-a-vis Israel? Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say very few organizations actually came out in support. Very few. I have it in uh, front of me. I mean, there are a couple big ones that, that were pretty happy with what happened at the U.N., unfortunately. 
No, I don't think that there were. I think I'm I have sorry, this, but I think only I, have this I only know of two organizations, and they're not big ones, who came out in support. Many did not come out either way. There were uh, one or two who came out in support of Kerry's speech, but not of the uh, of the resolution. And it doesn't mean that they all agree on the settlements. That's certainly true that they they don't. But they did not like the way that that was that, I can, that was handled. Okay. Americans for Peace now are a member organization or not? Yes, I can. I, re- I can. I read couldn't you. consider them a big organization. Okay, but they get a lot of media attention. As the, they I, all looking for, you know, it's man bites dog. It's it's the people. Anybody who will come out support it gets some recognition. You have organizations, or when they criticized, you know, our event, uh, the the Azaria Embassy event in, in for Hanukkah. You know, organizations that haven't been heard from for twenty years all of a sudden pipe up because they get attention. Okay. Understood, you know, but they did so no major, and I just don't want to have a distorted picture about what the reaction was to it. Um, it, it there were many who didn't issue statements, but I would say that if if there those who were really against came out, and I think as far as I know, maybe two or three that actually came out against, and many, many, many more came out critical of the. I mean, came right, out right, for came out for, and the others were critical. critical. Okay, that that's totally acceptable. So now the Obama legacy vis-a-vis Israel. What would you say? Well, I think that he he now paints his legacy as the bookends. The bookends of his legacy are the speech in Cairo, which began his term. Where, if you remember, you know, he talked about Israel being created out of the Holocaust right. and and had Muslim Brotherhood guys sitting in the front row, etc. And and then this resolution, and it is the sneak sneaky way that this was brought up, and, and you cited some of it. it. It was interesting to me that he met with Prime Minister Abe and went to Pearl Harbor, right. where they commemorated a sneak attack on an ally. And, right. and here, the United States uh, joined with other countries in what has to certainly be seen as a hostile act, and they don't hide their hostility, and it's both personal, which I think it should never be the basis for an action, and and uh, and it was based on policy. There is a lot of anger about it, and you know that sometimes Israelis speak too much, say too much, say things that are members of the cabinet, and then that gets ascribed to the government. I think that Netanyahu's try to walk a fine line on this. And there was no mention, for instance, of the 10-month freeze that Netanyahu instituted unilaterally, a freeze on all settlement construction, which evoked zero response on the other side. Uh, there's no mention of the Omert and Barak and all the other plans and that and the distortion here. And, and this adds to the, to the impression of, of, of the true nature and intent is that it, it, all of the onus essentially is placed on settlements. They're, the Palestinians are not even mentioned by name. Israel is referred to constantly, but the Palestinians are not mentioned. The fact that they walked away from all the negotiations, all of these extremely generous offers by Iraq and uh, by Barack and, and Omer, uh, you know that when they talk about uh, the refugee issue, there's no reference to the Jewish refugees. So one has to say or conclude that this is intentionally. Um, designed to um, to enhance the Palestinian resistance to direct negotiations. That they again their their avoidance of of negotiations for over these decades uh, because they believe they'd be bailed out, which they were, and that they were their position then was enhanced without having to go to the table, never having to take responsibility for uh, that negotiations uh, would require. Uh, calling Jerusalem uh, as uh, occupied territory, the specific references 
to these things. The the I mean, this is a boon for the BDS movement, which right. has generally been failing. Right. Um, there's no distinction between the block of communities that are going to remain and those that that and the outposts, etc. And the I mean, we can go on uh, with much more. And while it does talk about incitement, it doesn't say Palestinian incitement. It talks about you know generally both sides. You you know Kerry. It, was this him simply a mouthpiece for the president, or is this John Kerry? Well, I think Kerry's speech certainly made it uh, also John Kerry. I don't know that he that uh, I don't think he is the final decision maker in, in this regard. Uh, I would say that if uh, if there, there there was a role in the drafting, it was more likely coming out of the National Security Council, which then served as the spokespeople for this. It was Ben Rhodes. Who who did most of the TV as I saw right. uh, commentary and and defense of the uh, of the vote. The president himself didn't, by the way. And then John Kerry gave this uh, very long seventy two minute uh, speech, unbelievable, which was again uh, very one sided. It looked obsessive. Uh, yes, I think that uh, obsessive with Israel and the. Um, you know, I mean, who singles out an Israeli ambassador to the U.N.? I mean, it's just some things of it were just so far beyond any, uh, you know, any who, real who, rational who, explanation. Who, who, this, who, was, this could have been done in five minutes. Who, calls, who, who calls the Netanyahu government radical and extreme? He did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, no, many others would too. <laughs> but but part of it is because some of the statements, when you know people come out and, and ministers and say that you know the two state solution is dead and we're going to build and we're going to do and we're going to do, you know, they talk so much and and often those are actions. The, the actions don't match that, but if the damage is done when you know statements are made and 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 that it's perceived by many including many great supporters of Israel that everything is done because of domestic political considerations right well this goes far beyond that and you know you can be critical of Israel they they are they, are, they have been all along and certainly of settlements every president has been critical of of uh, of community and Kerry ma- and Kerry made sure to point all those out including uh, republican presidents Right, and, and of all the resolutions that yeah. were passed during all of those presidents. All right, we got to get to this. Another question that everyone needs to have the answer to, and I understand why. Is, and you alluded to it with a, a more negative approach than Danny Danone did early in the week with us. Is this reversible? Is this something that can you know not take 30 years to, to turn around a different way with Donald Trump president and seeing his attitude toward the U.N. and toward Israel? No and yes. It is not reversible, but... Steps can be taken to try to counter the impact that there be no sanctions, that that uh, other resolutions could be introduced. Though it will be very hard to get a majority in the Security Council. I do think that the president's intervention now regarding the Paris conference, the president-elect's right. interventions, will be very important. That's I think the min- many of the countries, you know, fear him or, or don't know what to anticipate, and it is that, those doubts. As I remember during Bush's the high time of Bush's uh, Bush the second was because they couldn't anticipate what he would do. They really believed he could bomb, he could do other things. Right. Uh, when they don't believe it, then they act, uh, you know, without consideration of, of U.S. And uh, you see that today in Syria and many other places where the U.S. is, is marginal. The, the So, yes, steps can be taken that could help mitigate the impact, but you can't reverse the Security Council resolution. You've seen President-elect Trump's reaction to all of this. 
Um, what do you think? I mean, we, we know president elects very often do not speak the way presidents do. And that after January 20th, you know, the, the landscape or they could discover the landscape's a little bit different than they thought. Are, are you hopeful that because of his statements, he can carry out some of this after he's inaugurated? We live with hope. You yeah. uh, can always, has always to say there's hope. There's no chance, but there's <laughs> hope but in this case. I think that there is a chance. I think that the, uh, many of the people, who will be around him, feel strongly about this issue. And his personal tweeting is, is not, you know, statements concocted by other people. This is not in the heat of a campaign. He said very strong things yesterday and, and the day before, and uh, they've been consistent. Uh, he did weigh in against the resolution and uh, put himself, uh, put a marker down. So, I think we have reason to expect that that will characterize uh, the policy. Uh, we will see. It's highly unusual for an administration in the last three weeks to introduce such a major uh, foreign policy initiative. Uh, it was meant in part to tie the hands of the next administration. Uh, I And perhaps, uh, you know, something shouldn't have been said uh, about their anticipation of what will happen in the next administration. But I do think that that was part of the motivation for this. Um, all right. Uh, January 15th, the date for that, the uh, quartet meeting with in Paris, correct? That's the date that was chosen. I believe it's not a quartet. It's, there will be a quartet meeting also, but it's an international conference convened by France. Israel will not participate. Oh, meaning open to many more countries than just many the yeah, okay. Arab countries. Others will, will all be Understood. there. And I think we have to be very concerned, and we're going to come out publicly about this. That- well, there, there are pundits who, who believe that between the 15th and the 20th, after the whole Paris thing takes place, there actually could be more activity at the U.N. You believe that's possible? I have a written assurance, and I insisted on getting it in writing, that there will be no further resolutions at the Security Council. Assur- the United or- States will veto any attempt to bring a Middle East peace resolutions to the U.N. Assurance from... From the administration. This current administration. Right, right, right. And high-level assurance. And and it's in writing. Is that something that you could share, that you could publish, or or that stays in your office? We are putting out a statement today which makes reference to it, which does say that they gave me a written assurance in an email, which I have, and unless they hack it and erase it, uh, it it stands. But, But let me just say, there are ways, though, that you can say that, and still have something come out from the quartet, a statement, parameters, uh, the principles that, that Kerry enunciated be enshrined by the quartet, adopted by the quartet, have the international conference uh, take a measure of that kind. So having the, the experience we have where, you know, the word doesn't necessarily mean what the intent is, uh, that... Um, uh, and, and, you know, uh, on our discussions with people involved in the vote, including Samantha Power, uh, just a couple days before telling me, no, you know, there's nothing coming up. It's nothing to worry about. It could well be that she was telling me the truth and didn't know what was really being cooked behind the, the scenes. Even, so, even she could have been, it could have all been hidden from her, even from her. Right. And as I said, if you listen to the speech, it could have, it could have been a speech given for right. going in either direction. And uh, as some U.N. experts uh, said to me, you know, that that speech did not sound like a veto, an abstention speech. And they were more trying to justify or they were, you know, getting the criticism in in the speech and then casting the abstention. 
You know, I, I have to make a point. Uh, when, when, when Prime Minister Netanyahu spoke most recently at the UN, so you'll remember he had a completely different approach than the, you know, where he, where, than the speeches he had given over the previous couple of years, uh, which really focused on Iran, et cetera, et cetera. Here he sort of got up and, and said, you know, this, this whole, this whole thing is coming to an end soon, folks. You know, hop aboard because the whole world is now gravitating toward us and the support, uh, you know, is going to be coming sooner than you think. That was basically his attitude. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, is this a major setback for all of that? You know, for those of us who dreamt that, that the U.N. is really going to become more and more irrelevant to Israel in the international scene, uh, has it jumped back into, into the spotlight because of what happened this past weekend? Uh, that's a, an hour-long response because <laughs> it's a good question, but it's, it, you have to take each part of that and, and analyze it. The, what does this mean in terms of our relations with African countries? Right. I think nothing. Uh, what does it mean in terms of some of the other countries? Nothing. In terms of the United States, a great deal. In terms of uh, European Union uh, countries exploiting this or the French using it as uh, for the at the international conference, um, and and often, you know, in in countries, they, they the, the UN ambassador, these things are seen as as uh, plays that just go on. This vote, though, because Israel lobbied before it, it, it will be seen a blow, and it is being played out by the opposition in Israel as a blow to the prime minister's credibility and the and the standing, etc. Yeah. I don't think that it's going to be detrimental in terms of those African countries and the others, the Asian countries that are reaching out to Israel that are seeking, you know, to do business. China always it, it pursues its interests, whatever they perceive those interests to be, but they will continue to expand their ties with Israel. It will not impinge upon it. Um, you know, they have very little moral values in their foreign policy, as do many other countries, and they do what's expedient at the at the moment. So the long-term impact, we will have to see. The short-term, we already see, you know, there were statements made by Iranian uh, Iranians overnight that, you know, if settlement construction begins, Israel's destruction will, you know, will will, will per, uh, follow, and they're all going to take advantage of, of this to... As as will the BDS and the Palestinians certainly in uh, in every four they can every international four because they've been given a license for it now. So in that regard, I think it is a setback. <sighs> Unbelievable. Um, it, well, we have to watch very carefully what happens over the next few weeks. Uh, this is going to be a, a very interesting time of transition. The written agreement uh, assurance that you got is fascinating, but what you said is so true that. You know, because of the language and, uh, and how it's written, you never know that something could always, uh, you know, be done and not be considered a violation of that statement to you. I think it's really important that you pointed that out. And we should also mention that, um, uh, you know, so, so many enemies of it. Take Bargudi, for instance, and his reaction to all this. No, you take him. Does Kerry realize that the that the person or the people that he wants on the other side of this negotiation are are, are outrightly stating publicly internationally that this is that this is a non-starter that even if if israel would go ahead and cease all settlement activity he has no interest in going to the table that's exactly the point that the palestinian intransigence is unrelated to settlement construction remember the plo was created in 64 the whole history the whole context is distorted uh, by this 
and let alone all of the opportunities to have avoided these issues, what if they had accepted the deals? All of the deals over the last 50 years, there would have been a resolution. You wouldn't have had these issues. The borders would have been created, and then they would have chosen uh, what to do on each side by the whoever was in charge. So it has a lot to do with that. And, and I want to point out, by the way, Congress is coming back to session All right. next week. Uh, uh, and I hope people read the statements by people like Schumer and Hoyer and others, Democratic right. leaders of the House and Senate, uh, excoriating the administration. I think you will see strong measures, resolutions again. There were before. Remember, 88 senators wrote the president not to do this and um, how the House, I think, passed it unanimously. So there will be measures and people should encourage their members of Congress to, to speak out, to act on this, to, to take a stand, that this is um, uh, uh, that this is a, a, an ongoing battle that we have to wage, that we have to continue to send the message to the American people to educate them, to get them to understand the real context uh, of this, which was completely lacking in both this secretary's comments and in many regards, and in regard to the overall uh, concern. People can have different views right. on any issue, including on settlements or whatever, but that's not what, what, our, what is, this has boiled down to. And, the, and he acknowledged that settlements are not the whole or even the primary cause for the conflict. That's what they went on to, to such great length then, doing exactly that, presenting the, that settlements as the prevention of a, of a, a solution. And the, um, uh, I do think that that uh, although he referenced uh, them walking away, uh, or did not mention them uh, walking away and and uh, from every uh, opportunity and never responded. You see that the Palestinians are constantly given a buy. They're constantly given an excuse, or the world doesn't take them seriously, or the you know the onus is only put on Israel, and that draws people to the conclusion that. Then they use terms like anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism, etc. Yeah. That doesn't resolve anything for us. What we have to do now is take strong stance, and that means Congress now, and hopefully when the new administration takes split, that between now until the new administration takes gets into office, that we, we can stop further damage in Paris. But uh, I've seen statements by some Parisian, uh, Parisian uh, officials that would lead me to believe that they are, in fact, planning, and Hollande, who is going out of office, is planning to get this to be his last hurrah as well. Boy, oh boy, I'll tell you, everyone jumps on this one, huh? Um, there are people in the community who are demanding, maybe the wrong word, uh, demonstrations, uh, the ability to have their voice heard in different locales, whether it be New York, Washington, etc. Anything to say about that at this point uh, in terms of taking to the streets? I think responsible expressions are called for. I know that there's one that's being planned for mid-January, and I think if people New York or Washington and and they make their voices heard, but between now and then, as I said, make your voice heard to your elected officials. Let the White House know. You know, use opportunities to to call-ins and and letters to the editor and social we're, media. We're, pardon me, social media as well. Absolutely, social media key today, key and and. Uh, too many people don't know how to do it, but but those who do, and especially so, ask your children or grandchildren; they'll tell you how to exactly. do it. Exactly. <laughs> but but to make to, to 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 not let this die down, but to use it as an opportunity now to educate, to to talk to people about what the real facts are. Yeah, the and, demonstration you alluded to was a New York event. A New York event is, is being planned by a number of organizations. The problem is that 
you know, two weeks from now, this issue will have dissipated and we're going to be on to the Paris conference. Right. Uh, second, it's winter and, you know, people, this is, as you said, this was a vacation period. This right. was a time and to do rally. Then there was a rally this week, which uh, Mr. Ben Marin took the initiative to lead, which was a good expression, got right. media coverage. So responsible expressions, I think, are always called for. We have to be careful what you say and, and to win people over and to have a further impact. Uh, I know people's emotions are very high. And believe me, I'm with them. Um, there, uh, I, I can't tell you how many nights of sleep over the last 10 days we have lost, which is okay, but it's it's the damage that is done and that we have to prevent this from becoming a further disaster. You know, it's very interesting because the Secretary of State used the term Nakba, quoted the Palestinians. Yeah, I Nakba, couldn't believe it. You know, which was quite remarkable couldn't because who brought the catastrophe? Oh, oh my well, God. You know, as Nakba. I mean, who who attacked who? Who in 1948 didn't accept the UN partition plan? Who didn't accept all the other plans? And then he makes it sound as if, you know, that the 50th anniversary is a, is a, is a commemoration of the Six-Day War. But, of, of, I mean, some of this stuff was just so over the top, it's hard to, to accept. And I think, you know, that, that a lot of venom from built up over the years and the frustration, and I think in part because he has very few uh, achievements to point to, and that he came into this gung-ho getting a Middle East settlement, as does every president, by the way, and, and most secretaries of state. Right. Everybody wants to make the deal in the Middle East because that's what you get Nobel Prizes for. That's what you get recognition. But he should have told the truth about why he didn't have it. I'm not saying Israel's always right and that Israel did everything, you know, as they should have. But that, that has nothing to do with this one-sided slam and the reality of why we are where we are. Can I share? Well, I'm sorry. I just want to share one last memory with you because it, it, it hit me as this was happening. You know, the Yom Kippur War breaks out on that Saturday, on that Shabbos mm-hmm. in 1973. And it happens uh, Shabbos afternoon, Yom Kippur afternoon, and we hear about it, obviously, Yom Kippur morning here in the in this area. And we come home. I'm a little kid, and we come home, and, uh, and my father's there, and we're listening to the news reports on the radio in the kitchen. And now, you know, we're anticipating he's going to say something significant to us, you know, about, about this day. But we weren't able to focus on the news of the day, obviously, because it was Yom Kippur. And he says to us, just remember one thing. They were planning this for six years, meaning from the moment the Six-Day War ended. Mm -hmm. And I sort of said to myself and to others last Friday, I wonder if he was planning this for eight years. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, we'll we'll read his memoirs, and there's many more things... uh, uh, that will come out, but the one, the bottom line, the point to him is that the speech and the vote will make the achievement of peace much harder. Right. It does not advance um, uh, that. And you see people, even uh, secure journalists, who apologize for the defense of Obama's uh, uh, record, and you will see many more uh, things. But I think looking at the Iran Revolutionary Guard statement that settlements will spark war, it will lead to Israel's destruction. That will tell you what the impact uh, uh, is, and now we have to look at ways to to um, mitigate the impact and to get the truth out, the true story about who's responsible for the situation uh, where we are. Unbelievable. All right, thank you so much for all your time. Happy Hanukkah. We'll reconvene next week. Please, God, have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining me here. 
good Shabbos to everyone, and a friend of Hanukkah for the end of it, and a good Chodesh, and any celebrations you have, may they be good ones. Yes, they should be really good ones. <laughs> and this should be a calmer Friday than last one for you. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM.